Mission has begun. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. After 110 episodes, we finally get to Sabaton. I can't believe it. And kind of an accident, right? Because it, it finished second in the poll that we put up on our Facebook page. But uh, with all the requests we've had for it, I think it was definitely about time. What do you say? Yeah, I wanted to throw a bone to... It got a lot of votes. It really didn't trail um, Megadeth's Euthanasia album by very many. Uh, so it just kind of made the choice for me uh, pretty easy this week. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we also put up another poll um, hoping to perhaps uh, figure out what our next Iron Maiden episode is going to be as I guess it was such a long time ago that we did Killers that uh, some of our listeners forgot we ever even covered Iron Maiden. So, And uh, either way, we haven't done a Bruce Dickinson album, which is yeah. preposterous. So I, so- I, posted, I posted all of their albums that they released uh, from when Bruce joined the band in 82 up until he left the band in the uh, mid-90s before... Um, before the uh, the two albums that they did with um, whatever his name was, I Blaze Bailey, already. yeah, Blaze Bailey. Um, so uh, I didn't want to like overcomplicate things by adding the the second era of Bruce albums. Although I, I know a lot of people probably would have voted for Brave New World. Um, that could be something to I guess explore at a later time. But I feel like this was a more um, important era of the band for sure and i'm kind of shocked we didn't do that and i was thinking to myself we also haven't done any dio albums which is kind of crazy when you think about it so we'll get there i i'm sure but before we talk about some sabaton one one thing i had listened to this week uh the melodic sounds of david redman's vocals i david redman from uh the uk he's been with pink cream 69 he recorded with adagio he's now doing some solo stuff and he came out with an album called medusa which was quite solid uh not going to be my album of the year or anything like that but a very very solid release and anything that he sings on i'm i'm usually a fan of at least to some degree um but i know that you had mentioned uh or kind of offline a couple of things that you had heard or or, or had just you know, found out about that you wanted to mention. So why don't you talk yeah, about well, those? Yeah, well, I I heard on Twitter uh, Alundra Blaze's favorite metal album of the year is this Medusa album. <laughs> by David, David. I wonder David, why. Yeah, David Brian Redman. Um, <laughs> all right, too many inside jokes. Um, I, I I I made a Twitter post today about uh, about Canyon and got a response from our our friend Matt Craig who was like, "Oh, I used to love Canyon." So I was like, "Well, I was hoping anyone." noticed that i posted that so well i guess it's not nobody then it's somebody just one shout out to matt um yeah so just a couple of tracks um since the last uh since the since last we met um dynasty has another single from their final advent album called the white um you know pretty much what you expect good stuff from them i'm looking forward to the whole album i feel like they never really make a a bad album it's always good stuff from them and uh, today, actually, Avatarium dropped a new single from their album, Death, Where Is Your Sting? And it is the title track from that album. I ha- was planning on listening to it, and I got sidetracked and never got a chance to, but I'm sure it's awesome in all of its uh, doomy glory. Um, I'm a big fan. I'm not sure of the vocalist's name um, for Avatarium. I will look it up just to be, um, just to be you know, complete, but... Uh, I enjoy her vocals so much and, and I feel like you, you so seldomly hear um, like a doom metal band with a female singer, which I I think is such a lovely change. Um, Did you know that they were founded by, uh, by candle mass songwriter Leif Edling? I did not know that, but I mean, I guess it makes sense in this, you know, it's the same, it's got that doomy feel to it. I find myself gravitating towards a lot of those doom bands, which has like the hybrid vocals where it has like the female melodic vocals and then like the growls, like, you know, the beauty and the beast style, but for doom, like draconian, for example. 
Can't get enough of them. One of my favorite bands, although not pure doom. They certainly have elements of a little, it. A little bit of uh, draconian love from Jonathan yeah, there. Huh? Yeah, exa- exactly. Um, um, so, yeah, her her name is uh, uh, Jenny Ann Smith. And, yeah, I noticed uh, Marcus Jadell is um, in this band, too. Uh, he was in Royal Hunt briefly at one point, who we'll be talking about um, soon. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that. that I just... It's a band that, you know, even though I'm not a doom metal, you know, expert by any stretch, it's a band I've always enjoyed. I think between them and While Heaven Wept, I feel like that was kind of, and, and I guess to a lesser extent that the Candlemas album that we, their debut that we covered uh, a few months ago, I feel like that was kind of your, not intro to the genre, but like you're dipping your toes in the water, so to speak. So you got definitely two winners there. And I know that you kind of enjoyed the Candlemas album more than you thought you would. Yes, yes. I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't try buying it and throwing it into an ocean after I listened to it. So I, <laughs> I, that was, that was a step in the Success. right direction, I suppose. I like it. Um, but like we said, we're here for Sabaton this week. The Art of War. This album came out in two thousand and eight, which just makes me feel old because it feels like it was yesterday. Um, when did? What was the first time you heard this band? Because I'll just tell a little story. I don't think I kind of started listening to them until they were announced for Prague Power back in 2008, where they would ultimately play in 2009 at the 10th edition of the festival. For whatever reason, they weren't on my radar. And then I kind of went back and got um, a few of their albums, including The Art of War. Had you heard of them prior to the fest, or was this like the first time for you as well? Um, I think I knew they were playing. This was my first year back at Prague Power in a while, and um, I like I knew they were, they were on the the bill, but I wasn't familiar with them. All but I knew that our friend Pat was like like so excited about it, and so like his enthusiasm really kind of pulled me in to their set. And when they started playing forty to one, I never saw a grown man go so ape shit at a concert before. Um, he was so happy, and and I was I thought that they absolutely blew everybody off the stage that weekend they were like the that mid-level band that just blew like blew everybody away we always talk about ed guy at prog power three and this was a similar slot that sabaton was in they they had you know they'd come back and headline the festival after becoming way more popular but this is at a time where i think i want to say the art of war was was kind of the album that started to catapult them into some semblance of um I don't know if I would use the word stardom, but at least like it, it got people on notice. And I think that after going back and listening to the, some of the older albums prior to this, this was like their first really, I think, real professionally, like really polished, um, like really clean sounding album. The The older albums kind of have a kind of a rough, almost demo-y kind of vibe to it. But um, they that they made me a fan that day with that live performance, I remember going home and I must've listened to 41, 40 times, 40 to one, 40 <laughs> times. Like I, I, I just remember between that and listening to Delane's virtue and vice from the sampler CD that I got that year. I, I just was like, it was, it was awesome because, you know, I had gone to, I, I had bought tickets to that prog power mainly to see power quest, but also to see Royal hunt and, uh, and Fate's Warning and Andre Matos. Um, and I ended up like leaving the festival with like all these new bands that I was excited to listen to. And Sabaton was one of them. And, uh, you know, I'd end up becoming a, a pretty, pretty big fan of the band. And, and I, I feel like um, they're still coming out with great albums now with um, one of my favorite musicians, Tommy, Tommy Johansson as part of the, the lineup. Um, and they still, and now that like they have such a following, their live shows are so epic. I mean, very. I would not, I would compare them to an Iron Maiden show visually, as far as like just a massive stage set. There's a tank on stage. Um, it's it's like Iron Maiden in fatigues. Yeah, it's it's funny the the progression and, and the popularity that these guys have kind of gotten over the years is remarkable. I'll say this is as massive as the live show is now. And I guess we're kind of doing this out of order a bit because, you know, we're talking about the modern live show. 
it's missing the keyboards in my opinion. And like what I think was magical about that first prog power performance back in 2009 was the fact that they had a keyboard player on stage with them and it made a huge difference until into the overall sound. His name was Daniel Muir. And for whatever reason, I just think it added to the performance aspect because I saw them um, with creator. God, it's got to be about five or six years ago now. Right. And it, it just, <laughs> it just wasn't as powerful of a live performance despite the gimmicks and the tank which was a cool effect and mind you I just bought us tickets to go see them in two months so I'm looking forward to the set but it just it doesn't it didn't have the same um gravitas I guess that it that it did in those early you know in the early or earlier stages around the time that Art of War had just come out yeah I, I mean it's it was noticeable for me the first time I saw them when they no longer had a keyboard on stage I think it's just that they they've kind of drifted away from having the keyboard as a, as a, a main part of their, yeah. yeah, Like when you go back and listen to this album, there's a lot of, a lot of keys and it's like the keys are almost as prominent as the guitars. I feel like the more so kind of, yeah, I feel like the band's gotten away from that in their studio material so that when they do perform the newer songs live, it's not really necessary to have, a live keyboard player, but I mean, you know, there's there the the keyboard solo towards the end of Ghost Division, and um, there's just uh, I mean, Cliffs of Gallipoli with the piano parts. Like, there's a lot of prominent keys, and and I and I think it really adds. Uh, that's why I'm a really big fan of this album, and and I remember like just how prominent the keyboard player was. It wasn't just one of those guys that they hid backstage with like a like a Ferdy Dornberg for Halloween or something where he's not even on stage um like it was it was like part of the band I I I, that being my first impression of Sabaton it was hard for me to picture them without a keyboard player on stage but I'd say most of their career has probably been without one at this point that is true And, and that live performance was so good that I remember when they announced the show up near you in Rochester in 2011 that I actually came up for the show because I had to see them live again. It was that good of a performance. And they played the montage, which is obviously, a, well, not obviously, but it is a very, very small venue. I don't think they had a keyboard player on stage with them that tour, did they? I don't think they brought them along. I don't think so either. It was like um, a one and done for the for the. I don't keyboard. think there would have been space for him on the stage had they did had the, maybe he was there and they just had to leave him in the back because there was no room. But uh, it was it was a small venue. I remember that. Um, the, the band was on tour with Accept. They were opening for Accept on Accept's U.S. tour, and they had an Accept was a night had a night off, and they were like, I think they were in between Toronto and New York City or something, and they were like. Uh, let's just play in Rochester. Like we get so few like big name metal bands that come through here. And so, and the fact that it was on a Friday night, I remember asking you, uh, Mike, like, do you guys want to come up and like go see Sabaton headline, like with like 75 other people (laughs) and then just like hang out all weekend. I mean, that was one of the most fun times I've ever had at a show. And in spite of there not being that many people there, the band played like it was Vakken. Like they, they were, um, they were really into it. They didn't half-ass it because of a smaller crowd. We started a Sabaton chant, I think after every single song, which (laughs) they, I think they got a kick out of that. I mean, that there's something fun about kind of seeing a show for a band. That's like a huge deal now. And remembering a time where you saw them in a small venue with a small amount of people and, more intimate kind of thing. Um, They're humble beginnings. Yeah. It's just, I have, it's such a fond memory of being, and being able to hear like when they only had a handful of albums. So you really got a lot of uh, kind of the earlier stuff, you know, your, your primo Victoria's and, and things of that nature from um, albums that came out even before art of war. I was kind of surprised at how much material the band had prior to this album, because I feel like this was really what put them, on the map well, along with that prog power performance, at least for, I think the American audience. For me, I think prior to seeing them live, I think Primo Vittoria was actually my favorite album, but as time has gone on, this has actually become my favorite. And I'll be completely honest with you. 
the band lost me for a little bit when they had their big lineup change, if you will. Uh, just by way of perspective, they would come out with Coat of Arms in 2010 and Carolus Rex in 2012. It was right around the time that Carolus Rex came out that I kind of, I don't want to say I lost my interest in the band. I just didn't have the love that I had at one time. And maybe it was because the keyboards weren't on stage, or maybe it was a little bit because of the songwriting. But I've kind of fallen out of love with the band, although I think that the War to End All Wars was a pretty decent album from earlier this year, and The Great War was had its moments as well. Um, but the best song that I've heard, and I mentioned this on the podcast you know, months ago, I thought The Christmas Truce was the best song that they've written probably since this album. Yeah, it's, it, I I agreed with you that it was a great song. I I um I didn't love. I, I really enjoyed this album. I really enjoyed Coat of Arms. They kind of lost me a bit with Carolus Rex, and then I feel like when the band kind of reformed and Heroes came out, um, there were some songs on there um, like "To Hell and Back" that I love, "Resistant Bite." It, it was like they, um, I think they were trying to. Try not like make all the songs sound the same, and they. I felt like there was they were trying to like add different elements, and it really worked for me. And I've been a big fan of um, all their albums since then. And um, and then when Tommy joined the band, I've definitely noticed his influence as just even as a like a, a guitar riffer. Um, just there's things that remind me of of Rain Seed slash Majestica that are you'd have to be a huge fan to like really notice, I think. But um, I, I enjoy that he has some influence on what Sabaton's doing now. And I, I mean, I don't know that I'm ever going to be like a real diehard fan of this band, but I just, I really do enjoy everything that they do. Um, I just don't know that I like anything they've done more than art of war. I, this, and then going back, I haven't listened to this album in a long time and going back, and listening to it again, man, I, I kind of forgot uh, just how good every song on this album is. This is a really good song. And then wrapped around the 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 Sun Tzu's Art of War with the narration and, and everything. And then having each song be about a different battle or a different war. It's 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 such a like a history lesson like i mean only i think iron maiden i could think of as a band that you could listen to an album and just be like learn learn shit. something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no you're absolutely right um and what's interesting though is like i, I mentioned that the lineup split um uh, a little bit earlier i'll just kind of lay out the, the the band just so we have it you know quote unquote on record um jock and broden's been there from the beginning he's on lead vocals he's got an a voice that you can't mistake it's it's one of a kind in many ways. Uh, Par Sundrum on bass, also with with Jockin from the beginning. Um, Daniel Mulback on drums, he left after Carlos Rex. Uh, Ricard Sundin also left after Carlos Rex. Uh, Carlos Rex, Rex, easy for me to say. And Oscar Mantelius also left at the same time. So it was you had a big, you know, you had that undersection with with the bass staying the same. You had the vocals staying the same, but then the entire band would otherwise uh, be different after this. But they. It's a very interesting to me, and I'll kind of explain why a little bit later, but I'll just say this for now. If you listen to the songwriting on this album, the guitars are kind of the weak point of the entire album. I don't think there's any standout solos or riffs that just blow you away on the entire album. To me, it is the vocals and the keyboards, which are like driving this entire ship the entire time, but somehow... There's a beauty in that, and it actually works very, very well. It's very unique for a power metal band where I say the guitars are like second, if not tertiary, in terms of the order of importance. Yeah, um, just to kind of follow up on all those members that you mentioned that left. I mean, these they all um, they all joined up to uh, start the band Civil War, which still exists, and um, you know, uh, Mulback, Mirror. And uh, Tabby England, who would join Sabaton, I believe, after Art of War and then leave the band. Um, they're all still current members. And Ricard Sundin and um, Oscar Montelius were also in Civil War. They're not anymore. Um, it, it's interesting to kind of hear how they kind of went their own way. Um, and I think that they kind of made their own unique sound that it didn't sound like a, a Sabaton clone 
so to speak. Um, uh, what I'm sorry. So what were you saying um, after you mentioned the the band members? Just, just that, like, there was something. Um, oh, with different. the guitars. Yeah, that, that it was like not. It was not the primary instrument. It wasn't even a secondary instrument. It's kind of like they're just there, and they the, they're used almost to accompany the other musicians and elements of their sound. And it's a very, very simple sound. It's not like the most complex stuff in the world, but somehow with the vocal lines and the keyboards, it, it just works really really well but I'll, I'll get into a little more detail as we get into it the the entire album is narrated by someone and you you, you told me about this earlier in the week because i had no idea you want to talk about the narrator from canada <laughs> yeah i was i was listening to it and i'm like the the narrator is got to be canadian like the accent just sounded canadian to me and i was like why is there a, a canadian narrator on a swedish metal band's album so i did a little digging and i come to find out that um the 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 narrations are actually pulled from the audiobook version of sun Tzu's art of war and the woman who narrated it is a just a, that's one of her jobs is basically one of is her profession is to narrate for books and stuff and she and she just happened to be this woman from Ontario and I was I was proud of myself for picking out her accent but um she, uh, she wasn't actually like chosen to, directly by Sabaton to um narrate this album which was kind of my assumption uh going into it um I guess it kind of makes sense um you know why hire somebody when you can just pull stuff right from an audiobook um I might if I ever make an album I might use the Mick Foley have a nice day audiobook to uh, just put like lit lines from his book, you know, like, and then, uh, and then I had to say in German that um, my, my ear fell off uh, <laughs> you know, in the ropes against Vader. Um, uh, right, just, before I, right before the song starts, uh, where's my ear? <laughs> I, I like it. Um, no, it, it's, it's, it's a unique approach to use obviously the, the book's narrator, but also to kind of in, inject or uh, include bits of the book in every track on the album. Obviously not all these battles were, you know, ancient Chinese battles or anything like that, but it was, it, it fits nicely. And apparently every single, I guess not every single, but copies of the limited edition actually came with the book, which I found fascinating. Um, I read this book years ago and I did not read the edition that came with Sabaton's album but i did read the book it is interesting that they would include that but i i i guess with publishing rights not existing when it comes to that piece it actually makes sense that they could include it yeah um it seems like what they did was that they took a they would take an excerpt from the book and then choose a battle that fit that 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 for that uh, yep. verse or whatever and it's so cool like the you know if you know the story of 40 to 1 um about the 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 Polish uh, forces being outnumbered and still managing to like win the battle, the the narration that goes before that song just fits so well, and so it's like they didn't just throw a bunch of quotes from the the book in willy nilly. Like they actually put some thought into where you know what songs go with which passages, and I, I think that this is a very um, it, it's it, it's a very um, uh, the word is escaping me, but I mean, it, it's just the, the the amount of thought that was put into this was, uh, I think, really commendable. Yeah, it was it was meticulously done, to say the least. Uh, it, 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 not just like let's throw a passage in there, but let's get into it. the 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 intro is obviously straight from the book. Um, it's the first two sentences from the Art of War, and then it goes into Ghost Division, which to this day is one of my favorite live songs ever. It comes at you so hard and so fast. And I, if I'm not mistaken, they've, for a while, I can't say for the last tour, but they've used this as an opening track on most of their tours. And it is perfect. It's so heavy, melodic, and fast. And those keys just hook you right away. And it's, again, it, this is a perfect example of the little things that I think make this track between like the backing vocals in certain sections and a kind of that crunchy guitar tone, not the riffs, but the tone. So catchy. 
the one knock, I guess, if I have to have one, it's a little repetitive, but it's only three minutes and 40 seconds. So let it be as repetitive as it wants. This song is great. Yeah, big fan. Um, I, I'm almost positive every time I've ever seen them live, and it's I have seen them at least five or six times because if they weren't, if they weren't headlining, they were opening for Nightwish, or I, I, I even saw them play with. Um, were they? Did they, did they open for Delane and Nightwish, or maybe yeah. Delane opened and Sabaton played in between? But yeah. like they're just like, yeah. I mean, I've seen them so many times in so many forms in so many places. Like, I, but I think this was always the the opening track, and it's so it's such a perfect song, like you said, to open with because it's got so much energy. It just pulls you right into the show gets you know if you're into uh moshing it's the perfect song to get your (laughs) mosh on right right from the get-go um it it, and and that i love that keyboard solo uh towards the end of the song it's it's one of the things i think drew drew me to the band was that you know me i love keyboards and and i thought that um that really was a a nice touch just a really great song And, and i was Going into this, I was like thinking that this was going to be my song of the week, but it actually changed. And I'll, I'll when we get to that song, I'll mention what it changed to. But um, this is still one of my favorite songs on the album, and one of my favorite Sabaton songs, you know, overall. Yeah, I, I, I agree. One of the things I love most about the album in general is the pacing. I think is great. Um, you go into Art of War, the the title track is the next track. And it slows down a bit. And, and I think it kind of takes you on this like journey, almost like a roller coaster, where this one slows down and, and you need it after that like sonic assault that, that is Ghost Division. This one is a lot slower, almost plotting in, in, in its approach. But what a powerful story. And it makes you just want to like get out there and, and, and go to war with these guys. Um, and what I love is how the chorus actually mimics the keyboard intro, uh, which is awesome. Though, again, if I have to knock it, I don't think the instrumental section on this or most of the album is great. Um, but I, I think to myself, imagine listening to this song without keyboards. I don't think it would be very good. I think the keyboards, again, are going to make this this song and much of the album. Otherwise, it's very kind of blah. But this is a great song, and it's actually one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, same here. Uh, it's got kind of like a marching kind of um, tempo to it, mm-hmm. which you know, makes sense. It's a song about a battle. Um, it's, it's, I like that they're showing like in the first two songs, like where we can kick your ass quickly or we can kick your ass at a medium <laughs> pace. Uh, it, it's, I this like is, yeah, this is another really good song and, and it shows, and you're right. Like without the keys, like the keys really kind of are, are the bones of the song. So like without them, um, you have no bones. I mean, what, you, what are you going to do with no bones? You're just going to be <laughs> pile a blob on the floor. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I know I say it all the time. Like, I hate when bands pipe in their anything, really. Backing vocals, keyboards. Like, to me, you know, and I know I've talked to Steve Williams from PowerQuest who feels very strongly about this, that the live experience should be uh, legitimate. And, like, everything you hear should be actually you know, played. I, I, and I agree with that. And, and Sabaton, I think with all the histrionics make it where you don't really care as much because there's such, it's such a visually appealing thing. And, and the sound is just so overwhelming that like, I don't think you care as much, but yeah, like it would be kind of nice if they had a live keyboard player when they go back and play older songs like this. Cause I'm sure if they, I'm sure they still play this song and it's probably all piped in. Exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, 40 to 1. There's not a time I think of anything else but Pat going nuts during this song. It was, I mean, it was it was so uh, impressive that, I, that I've always kind of thought the song was faster than it is. So when I went back and played it, it's not like, I mean, it's fast, but it's not like, Dragon Force fast, although like you'd think it was based on the live show and, and Pat literally losing his mind. Um, the verses are okay, but the bridge that leads into the chorus is the hook here, and it's really, really epic sounding. Uh, always remember a fallen soldier. That's about all I can say about this. Um, that and I guess what are the odds that they play this song when we see them in October? 
20 to one. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, this is, I think that like, this was a song where I think I played it so many times. I kind of got sick of it for a while and now I'm, I'm kind of loving it again. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so magnetic. Like it just grabs you and like, it's, it, the, the, the lyrical content of what this, this story about the, um, the Polish soldiers in the battle of, of Wisna where, um, it was, it was, uh, 42,000 German soldiers versus 720 Polish soldiers. And just the, the whole idea of how like they managed to, to like win this battle, the fact that they wrote a friggin' song about it. And then, um, what would end up happening is that the band was asked to perform the song on Polish independence day in, uh, Gdansk. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? I'm going to need Nops to, to jump <laughs> on that one. Uh, but I thought that, that is really cool. And then I, I come to find out that the, uh, the MMA, um, the MMA fighter, Damian Grabowski comes to, comes to his, comes out to his matches to this song. I mean, Talk about a song that'll get you amped up to punch somebody in the face. Like, the, I mean, what a great choice. This is this is just such a great song, and it, it was my introduction to this band, my introduction to this album, and I still, it, it's like an iconic song to me. So, um, and again, I like you, I just picture just Pat losing his mind. Uh, well, well said. Um, it goes into Unbreakable, which again is like another bit of a slower song. What are your thoughts on that track? So I had mentioned to you before we started recording that there was a song on this album that I forgot, like just did not remember. It was this song. Like I, I it felt like I was listening to it for the first time. Um, so like I listened to it a whole bunch of times. It was the only song on the album that like I just didn't recognize. And it's um, again, it's kind of like art. It has that same kind of pacing as Art of War. I feel mm-hmm. like where it's kind of a a march. Um, it's a good it's a good song. It's um it's based on one another one of the chapters of the book. It's probably my least favorite song on the album, but it's it's a it's still a pretty good song, which I think speaks to um the strength of the album overall. But um I think it's kind of like a well placed in that you kinda of need a little bit of a of a rest after forty to one, especially if you're Pat, you're probably sweating bullets right now. <laughs> this song grew on me quite a bit throughout the week. It's the longest song on the album. It's almost six minutes. But if you notice, the first half is a little bit slower and kind of mundane. But the second half really picks up nicely. And the, and to me, the last like two or three minutes kind of kick ass, although the beginning loses me a bit. Um, but it's that dichotomy, which I guess shows the improvement in songwriting because you didn't get songs like this on Primo Vittoria or the first, uh, you know, the first three albums, really. So I... I didn't love it when I first heard it, but it, it grew on me this week. Um, I, I kind of forgot about it, but there's one that we get to a little bit later, which I completely forgot about. Uh, I will say that I like the Seventh Wonder version better. I like Unbreakable by Seventh Wonder a little bit more, but that's just because I think Eileen Prague. Yeah. Well, didn't they, they did they play at that Prague Power that year as well, or was that the year after? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. That's a great question. That's yeah, a. Might have to- I have to look into that, but um, yeah, there, there's um, you you know, you mentioned earlier that there's not the guitar work is not really that prominent on the album. I feel like towards the end of the song is there's some guitar work here that you don't really get throughout the you know the most of the rest of the album as far as like solo guitar. Obviously, there's plenty of rhythm guitar throughout, but I mean, like you know, um, yeah, I mean, for a song that I completely forgot about, I ended up enjoying. It. <laughs> Um, we go into the nature of warfare, which is again, kind of like, I don't know, spoken word over like spooky keyboard sounds. There's really not much going on here, but it kind of reminds me of like being in a haunted mansion or something like that. The next real track is cliffs of Gallipoli. And I cannot listen to this song without thinking gutter ballet by sabotage. Oh my God. Every single time I listen to this song. I feel like I'm listening to gutter ballet. So plagiarism aside, it's a very good song. Um, I remember seeing somewhere on like a message board or something. There was somebody who was not a fan of Royal hunt. And they said something like they would call them like go play your, your 
your gutter ballet ripoff somewhere else or something. Oh, you said Royal Hunt. I know you meant Sabaton, but I it's it, it is. It's it's, it's fun. It's funny. Although the one thing about this song though is it's not just a sabotage clone. There's like Queen spots. I hear a lot of Queen in there towards the end, um, and I think it's one of the better vocal performances on the album. Um, a perfect reminder that you can't play this song live without keyboards. I'm sorry. It's just there's too much of it to, to, you know, kind of rip off the fans like that. Uh, could have been my song of the week. I think it's really well constructed, but it's not. Yeah. There was a time where this was my favorite song on the album. It's still one of my favorites. Um, I, uh, it's one of the songs I look forward to hearing live. I think it, it comes across really well. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it's so hard to listen to it and not think of, of sabotage. Even like the piano sounds like a John Oliva piano. Um, right. But um, not so much the, um, not so much the actual like vocal lines. It's just that, that, uh, that guitar intro is almost like note for note gutter ballet. It's just, it's, it's impossible not to hear. Um, that said though, um, really fantastic song. Um yeah, just good stuff. I remember when they um, played it when they came back to Prague Power to headline, um, and just being excited to hear it, um, just because it's such a just an epic and powerful song. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely agree with that. Next track, Talvisada. This to me is very, very reminiscent of Stradivarius. It's that straight up power metal tune that kind of you tap your toe to. No, no real gimmicks, no real fluff, just a solid, solid track. Not my favorite, but a solid track. Um, and another one that I would love to hear live. I don't think they've played this. I could be wrong. Um, but the guitar, the only complaint I have here is that the guitar solo is kind of weak. I would love to hear Tommy Johansson play this. I feel like he would do it a little bit better justice. Um, but overall, just a straight up, like modern style Stradivarius song, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have played it live i, I remember I seeing it on a set list i think it was one of those songs where they would do a thing where like they would have the fans vote like at the show like do you want to hear talba soda do you want to hear cliffs of gallipoli and like whichever song got the most cheers they would just play which i thought was kind of neat like yeah. a lot of bands don't necessarily do that and especially metal bands that oftentimes play the same set show to show um yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it's just a really straightforward, just, you know, energetic power metal song. Um, I don't think it's as memorable as some of the the, the big hits on this album, but um, just a solid, solid tune. What about uh, Panzerkampf, which um, the Battle of Kursk from the Soviet perspective, this one's a really dark one. Um, and I guess I kind of understand why, given the given the nature of the track slower and themic but i gotta be honest with you not one of my favorite tracks uh, a good history lesson i think for sure but the verses are just so bland in my opinion that this one loses me i think it's one of the worst tracks on the album yeah i, I think i probably like it a little bit more than you do i feel like they kind of made a very similar song in carolus rex when that song would come out um yep. it's kind of in that same vein um i like i i really enjoy um uh the vocals on the song, like he really kind of, I think really brings that energy and, you know, he's such a unique vocalist. I think that was another thing too, is that seeing them live and just, first of all, he, he looks unique. Um, he's got a, a wild haircut, you know, mirrored shades, the, the facial hair, the, the, um, the fatigues. I mean, the guy is just like a, a, a character and, and, and then just that voice comes out and it's just, he's such a, um, charismatic frontman, but also just a really great singer as far as like that kind of raspy kind of thing. And I think that this is actually one of the better vocal performances on the album, even if the song itself is not as memorable as some of the other ones. I'll 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 accept that. I think you're right about that. I, I remember when he split his pants. I think it was in Rochester, if I'm not mistaken. Literally, no, it was was it a prop power? He literally yeah. split his pants open. You, you can't make it up, but I guess he got new fatigues after that because you can't go to war with torn fatigues, obviously. I mean, I think that oh, goes without saying. Not, especially not in that spot. 
No, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, next track, Union, The Slopes of St. Ben, uh, Benedict. This was the track that I completely forgot. Do you have any strong thoughts on this one? Because I, 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 I hear something here, and I'm wondering if you, you caught the same thing I did. Um, I got some strong thoughts. It's my song of the week. Uh, really? I, 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 whereas like with Unbreakable, I legitimately just forgot it existed. This was a song that I just, I remembered when I heard it, but it had been so long since I heard it. And I was just like, damn, damn, this song is awesome. Like what, what, how did I forget about this? This is such, just that whole, the way that it starts out, just, oh my God, just like, pulls you right in um then i come to find out it's about an italian battle so i mean (laughs) near and dear to my heart um i I just i just think this is this might be the most underrated song on the album and one of the most underrated sabaton songs um maybe because like you know price of a mile is the, the next track and that's like one of the most memorable uh sabaton songs in a live staple but this this song is is phenomenal um i'm curious what what you um what made you think of well let's let's give it a listen and then i'll 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 come back after we uh we give it a we give it a shot all right let's uh check it out There you have it. It it is a very good song. I think what I hear, and maybe it's just me, there are like folky elements to this song, which you don't get on the rest of the album. So I almost feel like it's a touch of an elevated sound, not 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 overwhelming, not hurdy gurdy elevated sound, but just a touch of elevated power metal in there. I think it's I think it's because it it kind of has like a violin kind of vibe. And and I think that kind of is what sucks me in. And I love when something is different from the rest. And, and like you don't really get any of that on this album. And I love folk elements. I love when folk elements are brought in. And, and I just think the way that this song starts, it's just kind of like, uh, I just love it. I, I, I This was like a, a legit, like, positive surprise uh, going back and listening to this album again. Because this one, like, just kind of passed me by after all these years. And then, and it was just like the first time I listened to it again on, I think it was on Sunday. Um, I was just like, Oh my God, what, like where, where did this come from? What a, just a real lovely surprise. I, I'm thrilled to have rediscovered it. Nice. And I look forward to posting it this week so that I get to listen to it again. Um, but without further ado, let's get to my track of the week, which you mentioned briefly before the price of a mile. Um, this song is maybe the most well-constructed song on the entire album, but I'm going to tell you why. Uh, it is so simple and so basic and like almost like there's nothing to it. It's just the, the guitar riff is like so boring in, in a sense, but there was something so brilliant in the simplicity of this song that it's somehow so catchy and so um, kind of just sucks you in, even though there's really not that much going on. I thought it was like, really interesting how they're able to do that and if it wasn't for the keys and that like bombastic vocals during the choruses i think the song would actually be awful but i love it just because of just like the whole mix of elements that's going on here um curious to hear your thoughts but let's give it a listen A million lives at stake As 
Well, there you have it my song of the week i'd like to hear your thoughts yeah i mean this is um another one of those like marching tempo songs and um it's probably my favorite one on the album that uh, that's in that kind of uh style um another one where um i think they take it to a whole nother level live it's just such a great live song um and yeah it's kind of interesting because like uh, th- this is a band that takes like you know this the the te- a tempo like this like a march tempo can easily be so boring and they make it so interesting and then they and then they kind of like frost the cake if you will with these like really fast and powerful power metal songs it's just such a wonderful combination the way they kind of um weave in and out of like you know like like your ghost divisions and your 40 to ones and then you have your art of wars and your price of a miles um it's it and you know we talk a lot about like order like the right kind of order on an album and i'm not sure anything on this album should be changed at all i think i would argue see it's fun i'm glad you mentioned that my one complaint is that it's not the final track I would have replaced Price of a Mile and Firestorm, which is the last full track on the album, because I think Firestorm falls flat for me. And it has like that galloping beat, but there's not really that much else going on. And I feel like they should have ended it with the with the anthemic march that is Price of a Mile. I, I would have actually fl- – everything else is perfect. I would just flip the last two tracks. Yeah, it sounds like they wanted to end it with something more upbeat because this is another one of the faster – Sure. Songs. And um, I don't know. I was disappointed that they didn't say anything about a, um, a level four core meltdown of the occipital, <laughs> occipital lobe. I think that's a different firestorm and, and a very, very deep cut. Um, Shout out I'm, to Eternity I'm, X. Yeah, I'm fine with this being the last track, honestly. As much as Price of a Mile, I think, is, is way more epic and memorable. Um, I, I, I kind of like that they went with something a little bit more uh upbeat and less less depressing i guess um i I find carpet bombing campaigns to be a little bit less depressing than senseless slaughter well i i I, there you go i I mean technically the album ends with a song called the secret which is really just like an outro track but i i I appreciate the point you got to send them home happy uh hogan must pose right so like this is this is what they did yeah i mean the, the the a secret is not even a song i think it's just um it's like a, a computerized voice yeah. maybe trying to like scare somebody who maybe stole the album like as if their computer would know that they didn't pay for it. Um, I thought yes, it was it's fun. Well I, done. I also want to just throw, make a throw a shout out to um, a track that ended up becoming like a, a live staple, yeah. Swedish um, Pagans. It's um, a great song. Yeah, it's a. I think it was added. They they made these rearmed versions of their older albums in in 2010, and they added a bunch of bonus tracks. And one of them was the song Swedish Pagans, and it's like one of their um one of their like live staples now because I think it's just such a fun song to be like present for. And, and I'm just spitballing here, but it sounds like it might have been recorded maybe on like when they were recording a previous album, because I don't feel like it sounds as polished as the rest of art of war, but um, it's, it's a fun song. It's a really like, kind of like uh, one of those, like swing your, your, your mug around and, and, you know, like at the, at the, at the, the, the pub with your, with your pint of ale. Um, you know, I just, uh, sounds like Friday night. Yeah. This is another Friday at the, uh, at the old Swedish saloon. Um, <laughs> You know, just a just a really fun tune. I just didn't want to didn't want to finish without mentioning that 
So. No, but well, well said. Uh, very, very good album. Um, definitely, they're definitely my favorite. I, I don't think that that's um, an overstatement by any means. Nothing that they would release after this would come close, in my opinion. And quite frankly, it's just the more polished version of what they had been doing with an, with an upgrade in the songwriting. Scale of one to ten, what are you giving this? Um, I, I'm gonna go with a um, eight point seven five. Um, I just think it's a, a really fantastic album it's my favorite sabaton album um i don't it doesn't quite reach that kind of like nine area for me and and it's not really for any reason that like any of the songs aren't good or anything like that i just think that it's um i I just feel like you can't just give everything a nine all the time and and i and i i'm pretty liberal with my uh with my um rankings but i feel like this just at least for me just um just falls a little bit underneath that, but it's still very good. And it's, um, it's, it's really, it was a, a pleasure to kind of go back and, and listen to this. Cause um, it brings back a lot of memories for me personally of getting back into metal again. And this was one of the bands that really did it for me along with Delane and seventh wonder who we mentioned before. And, and just some of those bands that were playing uh, those prog powers in two, 2009, 2010, 2011, that really just brought me back and, and really um, just reinvigorated my love of music, which um, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, some of the, the beginnings of that next week. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of good memories from this and, and, and a lot of great memories from seeing this band live as well. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. Um, it's a 7.5 for me. It's a very good album. It's, it's my favorite by them. I just think that there's other stuff that I gravitate to a little bit more. So I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I guess live show wise, those early live shows were top notch. Um, I look forward to seeing them again and I hope that they play a lot of material from this album, but I, I don't know that I can put it in that rarefied air of an eight and a half or a nine or anything like that. It's a 7.5 for me, possibly an eight uh, if I'm in the right mood, but that's, I think where I have this one uh, before we get to next week and, to be fair, to let the cat out of the bag, we are recording these a little bit out of order because I'll be away for a bit. So uh, we, we we did record next week's show before we did this one. So that's why you know what it is because normally it is a surprise, but I'll mention what we're doing at the end. Um, couple of news items. First, a little bit of sad news. Steve Grimmett from Grim Reaper has passed away. I cannot begin to say I was a fan of this band because I don't know anything by them. But I have heard certain isolated tracks um, that Steve Grimmett sang on. And the guy had one hell of a voice. It's uh, really sad to hear that he was basically suffering for the last five years after having his right leg partially amputated. And he passed away at 62 years old. Um, Really, really sad news. I would encourage you to go back and I'll try to post a track or two this week just because you got to hear this guy sing if you've never heard him, uh, you know, heard him do his thing. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Um, I just saw a lot of people um, make posts about it, and it's always a bummer when um, you know my friends are, are sad to see somebody pass away. But uh, yeah, I, I, curiosity definitely um, dictates that I would like to hear uh, what this what this guy sounded like. No question about it. And uh, obviously, coming off the heels of a Megadeth episode, what better than some Megadeth news? Apparently. Megadeth was contacted by Amazon to do a Judas Priest cover for some sort of an upcoming project that they're doing. Um, it, sounds un- like you're just, it sounds like you're just putting words randomly jumbling together and then <laughs> like what? <laughs> entirely, entirely possible. But at some point, Megadeth is coming out with this project on Amazon and doing a Judas Priest cover. So we look forward to that. That'll be interesting. Um, and then, by the way, yeah. I just, I, I want to tell you, I had the talk about the weird shit that goes through my head. I had a dream last night that Milton announced that Judas Priest was going to be in the three slot at day two <laughs> of Prague Power. So, how about that? Mil- I um, thing, uh, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you dream it, maybe you can will it to happen. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I will tell you. I think Sabaton once did a tour with Judas Priest, so I think everything's coming full circle this week. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, and some other news, a favorite of the show, Jeff Scott Soto, announced a new album with 
former Megadeth bassist David Ellefson. It's called Vacation in the Underworld, and it comes out on October the 7th. I know nothing about this other than Jeff Scott Soto singing, so I'll probably check it out. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting collaboration, to say the least. Is, the, is Ellison the one that was got himself into some hot water not that yes. long ago? Yes. Right. We don't have to go into that, but um, man, Soto? Dude keeps himself busy. I mean, I'll it, say. it's unbelievable. This guy's got an album coming out every six months, it feels like. It feels like it's every six weeks, but more power to him. We'll check that out. And lastly, some new music from Candlemass. Uh, they announced their new album, Sweet Evil Sun. It's due out November 18th on no on, uh, Napalm Records. I it's believe not Sweeticus, Evilicus, Sonicus, because that's it, what that it should have been. Would be very apt, obviously. Um, I look forward to hearing it. Like I said, I mentioned it when we did the Candlemass episode. They were great on 70,000 tons. I would love to see them again um, at some point, and I have no doubt that they will tour for the new album, uh, which, like I said, comes out November 18th, so definitely worth checking that out as well. Yeah, I remember mentioning when we did our Candlemass episode that that they would be a band that I'd be very interested in, in seeing live um so yeah i i uh i imagine a tour will be forthcoming no no question about it but uh that gets us to next week and like i said this is already in the bag so there's no turning back now but we're going to do something very very different uh back when pearl gems 10 celebrated its 30th anniversary i selected that album and i know that you're a huge huge pearl gem fan and you know sometimes we like to go a little off 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 the beaten path right we've We've done the monkeys. We've done Pearl Jam. We're going back to that uh, mid '90s period, but we're doing a band that uh, we both love, and I don't apologize for at all. We're going to do some Green Day next week, and we're going to do their 1994 classic Dookie. Not their best album, but certainly a lot of talk, a lot to talk about with uh, with that one. So I think if you're not a fan of uh, you know alternative or punk pop. May not be your week to listen, but I would encourage you to give it a shot because it's going to be very, very different, and I think you'll be uh, intrigued to hear what we have to say. You know, I, I was going through the the archives, um, just kind of um, putting together a spreadsheet of, of info and just for our own, uh, you know, we, we got, we're on to, to 110 or so episodes, and it's getting to a point where we need to start writing things down lest we forget them and don't want to have to like go figure it all out when there's 500 episodes but uh i was going through it it turns out it was almost a year ago to the day that we did that pearl jam episode so maybe it's just the time of the year where we have to go and, and re uh you know refine our early 90s alt roots but um yeah um i uh i'm looking forward to talking about this album uh, <laughs> uh, a couple days ago but that's not yeah, then either year nor there. imagine I imagine that I probably have a lot to say about it, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually really excited for uh, everyone to hear it because um, it's something that I'm very passionate about, and, and it, it's. I feel like, thanks to like our discussions about, you know, um, the 1997 mixtape from Ralph, and and then the Monkees and Pearl Jam, and now Green Day. Like it, it's it's kind of telling the story of my love of, of all music from the youngest age till now. And so if, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like watching it, like, like we're watching lost where the entire thing is completely out of order chronologically, but you're eventually you'll get the full, the full story. So uh, there you yeah, have it. I, I'm excited for people to hear this and I'm hoping that um, maybe we could try to get some of uh, our friends that are not metal people to maybe give it a listen and, and, you know, just see what it is we do as far as um, this podcast goes for, I'm sure you have a ton of friends that um, couldn't, couldn't give a shit about Sabaton, but might want to listen to you talk about green day. hundred percent. I like it. So that's that. And we got some uh, other fun stuff in store in September and October. So uh, we'll get to that when the time is right. But for now, uh, enjoy the uh, little reprieve and we'll, we'll come back um, next week and then we'll come back with the request that you kind of alluded to earlier in two weeks so yeah. enjoy bud I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to drop that one a little bit early but that's uh, all right whatever it's uh, it's to see if anyone was paying attention well uh, it, it was buried in there somewhere so enjoy the week bud and I will talk to you soon 
All right, take care, pal. Oh, no!